Alrighty, shalom and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's Torah portion teaching right here on Yeshiva Radio. And we're broadcasting live right now to everybody so that they can uh, ask the questions that it is that they have pertaining to this week's Torah portion. And uh, we will be getting into those. And also, make sure to, uh, to keep in mind, on Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we do a live Torah portion teaching that night as well. It's actually a study that it is that you guys can be a part of. What you do is you go and you download the absolutely free Zoom video conferencing app. Go and download that. It doesn't cost you anything. The app doesn't or the account. None of those things cost you anything. Go and download that. And then on Friday nights, what happens is I text message out a message to you with a link. And it opens up inside of your app, and you get to join in on our uh, Torah portion uh, study that we have on Friday nights. Okay, so if you're interested in that, make sure to go and uh, send me a private message and let me know that you want to be a part of the Torah portion study on Fridays. And we'll go and get you uh, set up and all that stuff so that you can be a part of that. And it's one of those things to where it is we get all the back and forth and all that stuff. And you don't just hear me, you know, unlike tonight. So, you know, so there is that option. This week's Torah portion is the is the Parshas Ha'azenu, okay? Now, uh, before it is that we get started, we need to go into prayer, don't we? Let's go ahead and go into prayer. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, Master of the Universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah. I ask, Father, that you be with each and every single one of us here today as we go through your Torah portion, Father. And I ask that uh, you be with each and every single person throughout their week as well, as it is that they go and they take with them the things that it is that they learn from your word, Father, that they uh, go and take with them. Uh, the spirit of that is that is this time between that of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as it is that we are in the time of making Teshuvah. And we'll find many parallels to this within this week's Parshas as well, Father. And I ask, Father, to be with each and every single one of them as they get ready to enter in into Yom Kippur. May, may, may their fast be something that is very impactful to them, Father, and that uh, may everybody's name be written in the Book of Life. And we pray these things and ask these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome everybody once again. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. And actually, we're kind of starting out in some place different than it is that we usually do. Usually, we go and we read from the uh, we will go and read from the uh, the Hebrew and all that stuff, and then we will get into uh, some of the words of Chazel. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be jumping straight into the words of Chazel here. What I have here, right here in front of me, for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, this particular book, this is one of the 23 tractates of what is known as the Talmud. Okay? This is uh, Tractate Sanhedrin. Okay? And so what exactly is Talmud for those who are unfamiliar with this? What Talmud is, is that we have three different sections of each uh, passage in each page within that Talmud. We have first, that is usually either in bold or total uppercase letters, that is known as Mishnah. What is Mishnah? Mishnah actually means repetition. 
But what Mishnah is, uh, essentially, is that it is the rulings from the Sanhedrin. If we go back to the Torah portion of team, God tells us to listen and do the rulings of the Sanhedrin or the penalty of death. That's what those things that are either in bold print or in all capital letters, that's what, what, what those are. Those are the, ru the rulings. Then we have the Gemara. The Gemara, what the Gemara does is it explains the Mishnah. And then we have a little furthering of the ru ruling through what is known as the Tanya, because we will get these words such as, according to, to, uh, to uh, uh, Tananite authority, we will end up seeing these things, and then you know it goes and explains it further. What we're going to be looking at here today is a great deal of Gemara, okay? Now, where exactly this is found within that of the Talmud, if you have Tractate Sanhedrin, many of you probably have it, some of you don't, but I decided to explain it for those who don't. Those who do, it is Tractate Sanhedrin. We're going to be going to page 97A, okay? And this is going to be about halfway down. If you have the same Talmud set as I do, this is page 520, where it is that we're going to be starting in terms of the actual page markers. Now, within Talmud, there is actually pages in terms of the, the Mishnah and so on and so forth, okay? Um, and so A would be the front side of the page, B would be the back side, okay? So that doesn't align with that of the actual page numbers that are within your set of Talmud. You know, it could be page 97A, but on page 520, like it is that we have here. And now the, the thing that is amazing about Tractate Sanhedrin is that it is one of the big ones. When you started about Sanhedrin 90, the entire conversation is about the Mashiach. That's essentially what the major um, idea, or you know, most of the things that you see Yeshua of Nazareth going and citing within that of the Gospels a great deal of the time are things from Tractate Sanhedrin. And this week's Parshas, as a matter of fact, is referenced in Tractate Sanhedrin. Now, within that of page um, 96b, we are under the header where it says, When will the Messiah come? And they go on for many pages about this concept of when the Messiah is coming. And this is tied in to Parshas Hazazenu, okay? Because of one of the readings that is found within this page of Talmud here. So let us go to that reading. Um, it says, For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself of the servants when he sees that their power has gone, and there is none shut up or left. And that's from the book of Davarim, or Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 36. Okay? Now, within that passage there, we have within, uh, for those of you who haven't read Parshish Hazazenu yet, is that it is this song of Moses that, that, that is given, and it's this story, essentially, of oppression exile, and then redemption, okay? That's essentially, it's, it's like this wave that we see happening through this song and all this stuff, and about the Jewish people, you know, going the way of apostasy, as we have done so many different times. And so this is the framework of that verse. This is basically the entire thing that is surrounding 
this concept of the verse cited within Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 36. Okay? And so, the thing is that we ultimately, when we read the Haftarah portions, we see that happen rather often. We see this up and down kind of thing. Especially from the book of Yeshiahu, the book of Isaiah, or the book of Yecheskel, the book of Ezekiel. We, we, we see this kind of up and down thing kind of going on with, with, you know, God's happy and then he's mad. He's happy that he's mad. He's happy that he's mad. We kind of see the same thing here within that of, uh, of Deuteronomy chapter 32 um, and throughout the readings of this week's Parshas. It's, it's kind of like you're going on a roller coaster, okay? So this is where it is that this entire diatribe within that of this particular section of Talmud is being set up, okay? And so after the citation of the verse, it says, The son of David will come when traitors are many. Now, whenever it says Ben David, or son, son, of, uh, uh, son of David, uh, one of the things that we have to then understand in terms of this, in terms of the Hashkafa here, in terms of the worldview, what they mean whenever it says this, is we have to go to another tractate of Talmud. Another tractate of Talmud, which would be Sukkot 52a. Sukkot is actually one of the festivals we got coming up here very soon, as a matter of fact. And in Sukkot 52a, what we see within there is we see the very concept of two comings of Messiah noted as that of Mashiach ben Yosef, known as the suffering servant Messiah, okay? Which we see as Yeshua HaNotzri, Yeshua of Nazareth, or Jesus Christ, within that of the Gospels. And then it goes and it talks about Mashiach ben David, okay? Messiah, son of David, referring to the kingly attributes, the conquering king Messiah, that we find within that of the book of Daniel. We also find it in the book of Revelation as well, as well as the book of Zechariah. We find it in both of those places, this concept of Mashiach ben David. Now, the, the reason why it's ben David is because of the fact they have the attributes of David. In terms of Mashiach ben Yosef, it is the attributes of Joseph, the Joseph that is within that of the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, that is the Joseph in which it is talking about here. So for contextual reasons, we had to explain who exactly the son of David, as it says, will come only when traitors are many, okay? So the thing is that we can take this and say to ourselves, this is something that we see happening within political systems today. We see many traitors within that. You guys have been hearing a lot in the news about leaks and things like 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 the like this. Now, is this essentially what it's what it's talking about? I wanted to draw the parallels of today's time, and then I'm going to tear it down at the, after after we do as such. I probably shouldn't have told you guys that, but we're going to tear some of those down at the same time. So I want to hear in the comments here, in terms of traitors in today's time. You know, give me some examples. You know, we, we mentioned politics. Do we also see this happening as well, maybe within the Gufa Mashiach, within the body of Messiah? Do we find this, you know, in the entertainment world? Do we find this in other attributes of society in which it is that uh, I am not looking at at this time? 
And one of the things that I am going to do here is I am going to go make sure that I can see your comments. I want to hear about traders. Do, do, uh, have you guys seen, you know, traders in the midst and all that stuff? I want to hear what it is that you guys have to say, and we're going to, and we're going to have you guys kind of be a part of this, okay? So let me go and uh, see if we got any comments here. Uh, let's see here. Okay, no comments yet in terms of that. Okay, so, you know, that's something you can put at the back of your mind. Okay, or do, do we see traitors in terms of secular life and religious life today? Here's another one. Another matter, only when disciples are few. Okay, now we can sit there and say to ourselves, you know, many people will look within that of their own hashkafa, within their own worldview, within their own uh, faith their own denomination or something like that and, and, and try and, you know, kind of take it from that realm. Disciples, when we think of that concept of a Talmud, of a disciple, during the time in which this was written, it's vastly different from that of the times that we are in right now. Okay? How are they different? Okay. Well, to be considered a Talmud, to be considered a disciple of somebody is that you study under them. On a daily basis, you study under them. You are on their floor going and studying up to four hours a day, arguing, as a matter of fact, because that's a part of seeing the three-dimensional model of the Torah, also known as Shavim HaPanim, uh, or Shavim Panim La Torah, the 70 faces of the Torah. It's being able to see things very three-dimensional in terms of the Bible, as opposed to this, you know, one way to rock, Sammy Hagar style, linear idea of the Bible and the Torah, okay? The entire reason for arguing and looking at things from many different angles is to be able to see the Bible in that way. And so the thing about those, we could say to ourselves, are there that many Talmudim? Are there many disciples going and doing this very thing today, becoming disciples of Yeshua HaNotsri through that <coughs> of the premises in which it is that Yeshua taught? For instance, within that of John chapter 4, verse 22, he says, Yeshuot v'yelochim is of the Yechudim. For the salvation is of the Jews. He tells us to go and listen and do as well in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. As the Pharisees say, he says to go and do things in the way that it is that they say to do things. He says to follow halakhic authority. Okay, so we got to ask ourselves, are we doing that and being diligent in doing that? Okay, as a community, are we? I'm going to leave that to yourself there. Another matter, it says, only when a penny will not be found in anyone's pocket. Okay? Now, many people will try and jump as well to the political realm. One of the issues that we have within that of many of the biblical faces, we, get, we, we tend to get a little bit too political. Okay? We try and cohesively put together our politics with our faith, and we shouldn't do as such. Because of the fact that it says within that of another Mishnah, Within that of Perkei vote, it goes and it tells us to not become overly familiar with politicians, okay? So the thing is that we, the, that we can look in today's time, and we've had uh, predictions made by, you know, several different teachers that have put out books and all that stuff 
that have that said, you know, well, last year we were supposed to, or maybe it was last year or two years ago, total financial collapse was going to happen because they were seeing things in a way that through a political lens based upon their own political bias. And thus, we see that in many ways, the God that is being worshipped there is not Elohai Avraham Avenu, Elohai Yitzhak, V'Elohai Yachov, not the God of Abraham, not the God of Isaac, and not the God of Jacob. But however, the God of politics is what, you know, tons of people in today's society tends to worship, and they try and cohesively make it a part of faith. And we shouldn't do that. It's, it, it's not bad to, you know, to go and vote. You know, it's not a bad thing at all. In fact, you should. You know, but, you know, some, sometimes people get a little bit too immersed in this thing. It becomes a golden calf in many ways. And, 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 their, and the religious views are kind of, you know, kind of construed over, over, over these things. And, it, and it's a bad thing. This one over here, I can honestly say, in terms of when it says, in another manner, only when a penny will not be found in another's pocket, you know, that's something that is definitely up for debate. In terms of the meaning of that, it says on another matter, only when people will have given up hope of redemption, as it is said, there is none shut up or left, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 36, cited yet again, as it were, when there is none, God being absent, who supports and helps Israel. Now, I want us to look through our very own history here. Things that it is that we can think of. Think of how many times there have been individuals making several different predictions about when certain things are going to happen. I can think of certain teachers within the past 10 years have made at least five predictions that did not come to pass. Okay? Now, these are people that many of you have all heard of. Big names in the Hebrew Roots movement. We see that. We also see it happening within that of our, of, of, of our Christian brethren as well. We see the very same issue right there within their faith as well. Many different predictions being made, not coming to pass. And this has been going on for quite some time. You take, for instance, there was a lady by the name of Ellen G. White who started the Seventh-day Adventist, and she predicted that Yeshua would come back in like 1889 or something like that. Well, of course he didn't. And so that, that was a huge issue. So what ultimately ended up happening is they say, well, uh, Ellen G. White was taken out of context, you know, and all that stuff, but it's actually going to be in 1917. And then 1917 rolls around, you know, Yeshua doesn't, doesn't return that time, and we see this happening all the time. You guys remember Y2K? I think most of you are old enough to remember Y2K. I was in college at that time, and I'm over here trying to get my mic. My mic fell. Some of you guys probably heard it over there. I'm trying to get that one all set up. We got two microphones going here. We got one going for the, for the audio version of the podcast, and then we got, um, and for the radio. And then we got the one for the video here. And so I'm dealing with two microphones here. <laughs> and this one, you know, ultimately ended up going and dropping. And so, you know, you could think of all of these false predictions that have happened. You know, how, and so what ultimately ends up happening is through these false predictions, we have many that go and fall away from the faith. They go and they say, well, you know, he hasn't come yet. 
And so therefore, I'm very skeptical of this whole thing because all, you know, this teacher and this teacher and this teacher were predicting this to happen and it didn't happen. I've seen many people go and leave Messiah over this premise because of the fact that certain things didn't happen that certain teachers said were ultimately going to happen but didn't. Okay? And so this is nothing new. This is nothing new at all. And so, you know, I mean, I, I know of at least, you know, people that I started out in ministry with, you know, about 15 years ago, started doing the radio with. I would say, you know, out of, out of the half dozen, I would say all but two have ended up denying Messiah. One of them, you know, used to be my co-host, as a matter of fact, decided that he was, uh, you know, because of the fact of all these teachers making these predictions that he was grasping onto, he decided not only to leave Yeshua and, you know, uh, become an anti-missionary, but then he also decided, you know what, I decided, you know, he decided he was gay as well, you know, and I hate that that happens. But we see so many people falling away from the faith because of the fact they feel that no redemption is coming. But also, at the same time, there's another angle of this as well. The idea of being unsure about a redemption coming shows a period in a person's life where there is this point to where it is that they are really very much wanting that presence of God. They are yearning for it. They are yearning to hear God's voice. So during that time to where they feel that there is no redemption whatsoever, sometimes that's when Yeshua HaNotzri, Yeshua of Nazareth, goes and shows his face to such individuals. So there's two sides of that one, and we got to be very unbiased and look at these things from all these sides. Okay? So, it goes on here and it says that accordance with the statement of Rabbi Zira, who uh, uh, when he would find rabbis involved in figuring out when Messiah would come, would say to them, by your leave, I ask you not to pull it off. For we have learned on Tananite authority. Three things. Come on the spur of the moment. Three things come on the spur of, of, the, of, of, of a moment. Okay? Now, this is one of my favorite quotes in all the Talmud. Three things come on the spur of the moment. And they are a lost object, a scorpion, and the Messiah. Okay? So basically what we see Rabbi Zira saying here is that first of all, don't even try to even calculate this thing. Yeshua of Nazareth even goes and says within the book of Acts, he says he doesn't even know. Isn't it interesting that it seems that every YouTube theologian knows the day and the hour and the coming of Messiah, but yet the Messiah himself says he doesn't even know. Okay, so this is something that we got to think about here, because when we go and we look at the, the, the deterioration of society, when it comes to all of these things that it is mentioning here, after it says another matter, and the things that it is that we have listed here, within that of the Gemara section, 
The thing that we have to realize is that every generation thought this was the generation this was going to happen. They, every generation thought this is when Messiah is going to come because it cannot get any worse than it is now. But yet we see it continually getting worse. Now, I'm going to go and um, not quote directly from the next couple of parts, okay? But you can go online and read this in its entirety in terms of Sanhedrin 97A in the Talmud. I think there's many websites that have this text right there for you guys to read there. But there's a, a long diatribe that goes on all the way to uh, Sanhedrin 97B, okay? That goes on about the world existing for 6,000 years and a thousand years of desolation. Okay. And so, uh, let me, let me just find one part here that, uh, kind of wraps this up. Here we go. Um, it says for 2000 years, it will be desolate for 2000 years will be the time of Tara and 2000 years will be the days of Messiah. Okay? Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Okay? Now, see, they, they, they calculate this out because of the fact that, first of all, there were six days of creation. One day is about a thousand years. And so, what happens is that you're talking about the six days of, of, of creation. Now, if you look at the Hebrew calendar, we're in year... Five hundred of uh, five thousand seven hundred and seventy nine. It just turned over to five thousand seven hundred and seventy nine during Rosh Hashanah a, about a week ago, is when it ended up turning over. Okay, so the thing is that you know that, that, that we say, well, you know, six thousand years, you know, you know, there's there, there's still some 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 time there, but can we make that conclusion? Really can't because again, this is Gemara in Midrashim. And Agadah, this is, this is, you know, them explaining the Mishnah about the coming of the Messiah. This is what it is that is happening here. So this is not halakhic authority in terms of the Gemara section, okay? This is just explaining this and them, you know, trying to, you know, figure out the best way to, to, to explain it. But here's the thing that gets very interesting is when we go on to the next, to the back page of 97, which would be 97b in Tractate Sanhedrin, it says, but on account of numerous sins that have been lost those years in which the Messiah should have come, but have not come, have been lost. So Elijah to Rabbi Salah, the pious, the world will not last no fewer than 85 jubilees or 50 years each. The son of David will come in the last one. And he said to him, Will it be the first or, or or the first or last year or the last jubilee? And he said, I don't know. Will it come to the end at the end of the 15th year? And he said to him, I don't know. Rabbi Yashi said um, what he said to him, up and look, do not look for this coming, but that onward look for his coming. Okay, and it goes on to say, you know what? We missed him. He was supposed to come during... Actually, around the time of Yeshua HaNotsri, 2,000 years ago. And they said, we missed him. So we are going to rely on our good works. 
Now, it's very interesting because when we get into the Besorot, we get into the Gospels, one of the things that we ultimately end up seeing, seeing within there is that we see the Magi going and saying that they were awaiting the coming of Messiah. And upon the awaiting of coming of, of the coming of Messiah, they knew the specific star to follow and the time that it would come to when it was that Mashiach ben Yosef was coming. Now, this entire passage of saying, don't even guess, was dealing with Mashiach ben David, okay? Which it is that we are all waiting on. We are all waiting on Mashiach ben David. Whether it is that you are a Christian or whether it is that you are a part of the Messianic faith, the Hebrew roots, like myself, the, uh, uh, the Lapid Jewish faith, or whether it is that you are a part of Orthodox Judaism, all of us are waiting on Mashiach ben David. Okay, all of us are in unison and complete concert in terms of that. But this is the thing that it tells us to not even attempt to go and try and calculate when Mashiach ben David's coming. But notice, that's the cool thing to do nowadays. The cool thing to do is to make calculations about when things are happening, going to happen within the book of Revelation, when the two witnesses are coming, when Messiah is coming. Is there going to be a rapture? Is there not going to be a rapture? You know, I, I, I'm an oddball, okay? Let's be totally and completely honest. You know, when I go and I look at the book of Revelation, I don't see news articles sprawling through my mind, okay? Many people are watching things on the news and being like, oh, well, this is the sign, you know, and all that stuff, you know. We see that rather often. People say, oh, this, this, this is the sign mentioned, mentioned here. One of the things that I ultimately end up seeing with the book of Revelation is I see it as a Jewish text. Now, I'm not saying that I'm right and that everybody else is wrong, you know, because I'm only a, a second-year student into the into the sowed level of interpretation, you know, which is what it is that the um, that the uh, um, that the Book of Revelation and Daniel and uh, uh, Zechariah, as well as that of the Book of John, are written in. It's written on that sowed level of interpretation, which is also known as the level of Kabbalah. And so the thing is that I end up going and looking at those through that vantage point, saying, first of all, Jews wrote this. So we need to use good Jewish hermeneutic in order to understand where it is that they're, that they're coming from. And so what I ultimately end up seeing with my, for myself within that of the book of Revelation is that I tend to see that, first of all, what we have there is a battle between the Yetzir HaTov and the Yetzahara. What is Yetzir HaTov and Yetzahara? Yetzahara is the evil inclination that we all have within us, that we have to kill on a daily basis. The Yetzir HaTov is the inclination of good. It's the thing that brings about shalom, that brings about ahava, brings about simcha, brings about all of these things. That is what the Yetzirah is. Okay, it's the inclination of good. It's the thing that gravitates us towards that of Hashem. Now, you know, you take one prime example of this. Let me let me go and put one up on the board here. Uh, like, for instance, there's one passage in, um, I believe it's Revelation 12, and, and I read this from the Aramaic of the... Uh, Crawford manuscript, okay? And so, one of the things that I ultimately end up seeing is that, first of all, I have two Hebrew words in an Aramaic manuscript. This is odd. Why do I have two Hebrew words there? And we have, first of all, we'll have this word. Which is the word ish for fire. And then we have this word. 
Isha for woman, which basically comes immediately after this. And we say, big deal. What, what, you know, so, so that's, that, that's, that's cool. There's two Hebrew words there. But there's a reason why these two words are being, are being used because there's an old medrashim that it is that you have to know about that deals with these two words and a third word. This word right here. Now notice that each and every single one of them have the Aleph within them. Each of them have the letter Shin within them. But this is the word for man, okay, which is Ish, also spelled the same way as, or sounds the same way as this Ish for fire. Then we have the word Isha for woman, okay? Now this deals with the passage in the Torah where it goes and talks about not starting a fire on the Shabbos, not starting an Ish on that of the Shabbos. Now, the thing that's interesting is that this verse, when it's brought up in some places, it's talking about Shalom Ba'is, talking about marriage is where it's talking about this. Now, the thing that's interesting is that God chose for the, for the word for woman to have the letter hey, and that the word for man has the letter Yod. The letter Yod represents humility, okay? And so one of the things that those of you who have been following our Garden of Peace series that is uh, a book by uh, Rabbi Shalom Marush, A Marital Guide for Men. Um, one of the things that we ultimately end up learning in terms of halakha there is that basically with that, that it's the man's job for his wife, for him to be the servant unto her, that women are made to be receivers and men are made to be givers. So therefore, this is why there is the yod in that of the word ish for man, Okay. And the word hey, rep, or the letter hey, rather, represents a woman's honor and her vitality that needs to be fed by his humility, okay? And so with this, if we, when we take these two, two letters and we put them together, the yod and the hey, we have one of the 72 names for God that is found within that of the Tanakh. It's the, it's the, the yod and the hey, which is one of the names for God. And so, therefore, it goes and it shows that within a marriage, that God is within their midst. Now, if a man doesn't do his job and doesn't supply the servitude towards that of his wife and maintain shalom, bay, uh, shalom bayis, then what happens is the yod is gone because of his choice, and then the hay is starved. The hay is then gone. So then we have fire, fire, fire which basically goes to show that when why it is that when you go into a Jewish home and there could be fighting and all this stuff, arguing, but then as soon as Shabbos starts, as soon as the Shabbos starts, all arguments cease to exist because this premise is understood. Okay? So this is the way that I look at the book of Revelation, which is much different than most, than, than most people. I, I see that there's a lot of this kind of stuff that is that that is within there. I don't believe that we're going to be seeing like eight-headed beasts or anything like that. Okay, so let's see here. Um, yeah, that's a great revelation in this. Your your yarmulke disappeared. Yeah, yeah. I, I I actually left it in the other room, as a matter of fact, before I came in here. Very observant there, uh, uh, Simcha. Uh, Simcha is a good guy. He's one of my he's one of my Orthodox buddies. As a matter, of, as a matter of fact, he's a he's a chabadnik. As a matter of fact, really good guy. Um, so you know, so so this is the way that I see, you know, in many ways the Book of Revelation. Because I, you know, and the thing about it though is many people think that if they, you know, somehow 
go against the odds, and they are smarter than Mashiach, and they can predict his time and his coming. You know, then they think that uh, you know somehow God's going to give them some sort of you know extra pat on the back. You know, that's not the way that it works. Not that's that's not that's not the way that it works. Where our focus needs to be is upon what honestly I believe that Book of Revelation is talking about: battling that Yetzirah, battling and killing that sucker. Why? Because the job of the Yetzirah, which is the inner Satan that we all have within us, its job is ultimately to kill us. So, you know, we got to get to it before it gets to us, you know. And so that's what is going on here. And this fits perfectly into the diatribe in the Song of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Song of Moses that we end up seeing in Parshas Hazazenu because of the fact that we see that our people went the wrong way and then, then redemption comes and all of these things when we are in a lowly, lowly pit. And so the thing about it, though, is that we can basically in many ways go and avoid that lowly pit as individuals by, first of all, going and battling that Yetzirah and battling it daily. And the thing about it, though, is doing as Chazel says here and not going and trying to predict these things. We could guess. That's the best it could be. Best it could be is a guess. But, you know, the thing about it, though, is that when we are so sure of something, what happens? Our faith then starts to crumble when it doesn't come to pass, and so, and so many others all across the board. That is, that, that, that is so destructive. So many people don't realize just how destructive that is. Now, the Rambam even goes and says that, you know, one, one of his 13th principles is, 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 is to wait with anticipation for the Mashiach coming. That's one of the things that it is that we, that, that we, that we must do, is just await, not guess, and work on ourselves. Battle that Yetzirah. Battle the things that would cause us to fall into the pit spiritually. Robin Bachia, who was one of the great sages of the 11th century, actually did an entire chapter in his book, Havod Laavot, Duties of the Heart, which the Ramchal even says that he learned a thousand times. Didn't say he read it a thousand times. Said that he learned it a thousand times. Okay? Uh, this is such a pinnacle work within that of, of, of Judaism. But he has an entire chapter about what it is that the Yetzirah is, going, is, is trying to do. How the Yetzirah is ultimately trying to kill you. And how to go about battling the Yetzirah. So what, about, what we're going to do now is we're going to go ahead and wrap this up by going and taking you guys' questions about uh, what it is that we have discussed here. And also, if anybody is in disagreement as well, you know, we love to hear the other side because, again, one of the things that we ultimately have to do is look at Shavi'im Panim La Torah, the 70 faces of the Torah. You can, all can't just sit there and say, Christopher is the one who finally got it right. Go, Hashvi, Shalom. God forbid. You know, don't ever do that. Don't ever say that. You know, instead, we need to go and look at things in terms of... Um, that aspect. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Gary says, if I don't say it later, have a blessed Yom Kippur and an easy fast. Well, thank you very much. Um, okay, Otto says it does say 666 is the number of a man. And, and that reminds me of something as well. Because within that those, those passages, and this is one of the reasons why I believe 
the revelations talking about Agada is is mainly talking about the the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatov. Is I'll I'll give you guys a little bit of insight into my theory on this. And again, it's just a theory, just a theory. Um, I know there's been many memes that have been put out by things. You know, this is the monster drink, or this is uh uh the name Allah, you know, in Greek script or something like that, and and, and all these things really fall flat. Because the Greek script, first of all, doesn't look anything like that. And second of all, um, it the, the Bible doesn't say 666. It actually says within that of both the Aramaic and as well as Dalage's um, Hebrew, which he translated from the Greek, it's not three sixes together. So it's not a vav, vav, vav. It's actually 666, okay? And so the thing with this is that there's another Hebrew word that is used within that passage there, Otto, which is a word that is used within that of the book of Yeshiyahu, that is used within the book of Isaiah, and it's the uh, uh, the word golem. And the word golem basically means beast, okay? And so the thing the thing with that is that traditionally within that of Agadah and Midrashim, we have many stories of many different golems all throughout history. One of the most prominent is the golem of Prague. And uh, it's basically where we get the modern-day Frankenstein story from. Now, the issue is that, first of all, the Maharal of Prague, very smart Torah scholar, you know, Der Chaim is one of the one of the pinnacle works in that of, of, of Judaism. Everybody should read Der Chaim. But the thing is that the Maharal had a little bit of an ego problem, okay, because he claims that God had told him that he revealed all the secrets of the Torah. And so what happens is the Maharal when the uh, Jewish people were under persecution from the Catholics, is the Maharal ended up going into the woods and drawing a mud man and then reciting the 72-letter name of God with the word emet, the word for truth, on its forehead. And the golem came to life. The mud man came to life in terms of the story. And then, basically, you know, uh, Frankenstein's monster went haywire, just like in Frankenstein. Because, again, Mary Shelley got this idea from the golem of Prague. And so what happens is that, uh, you know, basically he had to kill the golem. Well, how did he kill the golem? He had to go and erase the aleph from the word emet on the forehead of the golem, which then became the shortened form of the word nevet, which is met, which means death to kill the golem. And so that entire thing deals with how it is that we, in many ways, how it is that our egos get way out of control. It's, it's an entire diatribe in terms of that. Much like in the same way that, you know, many people will say, Adam really had a first wife named Lilith. No, that's all Agadah and Midrashim. And that Agadah and Midrashim was to um, help young young boys who were getting to be at that age of, pure, of puberty, uh, puberty to not have nocturnal emission at night and all that stuff. It was kind of used to scare the crap out of them, essentially. So that's what that what that was used for, you know. The, was there really a golem? Probably not, you know. But this is but there's this underlining story about the golem that it is that you have to know why it was that it was created, what was going on with the Maharal, and all these things. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Diantha goes and says, and I can't see the whole thing because it's too long. But I'll I'll see if I can get which what she's talking about from what it says here. She says, so the first time Yeshua came was Mashiach ben Yosef. That is correct. Yes, yes, the suffering servant Messiah that uh, we find about also just one page later 
within that of the tractate that we looked at in, in Talmud. In Sanhedrin 97a that we read, we go and we see them starting the concept. In Sanhedrin 98b, we see them going and sourcing Isaiah 53 over and over again, where it talks about the suffering servant Messiah. And the Jews believe the concept of Mashiach ben... Um, okay, uh, the other part I can't see there. Uh, it's because after it says Mashiach... Uh, and the Jews believe the concept of Mashiach, and I see B, and then it says see more, and it's not letting me see more. It's wanting me to hit a little thing of a happy face or something like that. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, but Yeshua came as Mashiach ben Yosef. Now, all throughout Judaism, however, and I think I know where Deantha's question is going on there, the part that I can't see, I think I know what, she, what she's getting ready to ask there is, are the Jewish people awaiting Mashiach ben, ben David to come first? And, and, and actually, you know, I really believe that was the case during the time of Yeshua, as a matter of fact, because one of the things that I see is that we have this guy that uh, is released unto the people that um, is uh, 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 called Barabbas in many of your Bibles. Now, in the Aramaic, it says bar Abab. Now, there's a bar Abab that is talked about in the Talmud that was a religious zealot that was trying to purport himself as Mashiach, and he was alive around the same time as this particular bar Abba. And so the thing is that at that time, they were looking for somebody to overthrow the Greeks, to try and overthrow the Romans who have occupied Jewish territory. So the thing is that they were probably wanting that kingling Messiah before the suffering servant Messiah, because that is what, in their minds, seemed to fit at that time. But... One of the things that we ultimately end up seeing, even from that of Tadashevik Tav, as well as, you know, just even a minimalist understanding of Tadashevik is that first of all, in order to take care of the physical, we have to take care of the spiritual first. Okay, so therefore, a person has to merit Mashiach ben David. This is why it is that we end up seeing that the Lavavitcher Rebbe would sit over there and hand out dollars and he'd say, go and give this to Zedekah so that Mashiach may come. He would go and do that because of the fact that the people's hearts need to be prepared for the coming of Mashiach ben David. You know, they needed to be, you know, engaged in Torah study, that they needed to have shalom and simcha, you know, and all of these things, that this had to happen before Mashiach ben David would come. And the reason why this is the case, because within the book of Shemot, of the book of Exodus, I believe it's chapter 20, where it talks about the cherubim facing each other on top of the on top of the Akidah, we go and we see that they are going and uh, facing one another. But then, within that of Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 13, we see that they are, they are both facing the sanctuary, meaning one of them has turned its back upon the other, symbolizing the people turning their back upon that of Hashem. And around this time, when this was written, was the time that Shimon Hazadik had died. And they said that the Spirit of God had left the Ba'is HaKmikdash upon the death of Shimon Hazadik. And thus was the reason why one of the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant went and turned its back on the other, symbolizing the people turning their back upon that of Hashem. And so therefore, if the Ba'is HaKmikdash is going to be rebuilt, and if Mashiach is going to come down from the Shemaim, and he is going to reign within it, then those two cherubs, need to be facing one another. This is why the concept of Tikkun Olam is such a high and lofty premise within that of Judaism. 
All right. Do we have any other questions here? Uh, very good questions we got from you guys here today. Very good questions. And while I'm waiting for you guys to put in any last questions that you may have, on Friday we have our Torah portion study that you guys can attend. Um, if you go into your app store on, on any of your Google or mobile devices, uh, or your Google or Apple devices, look up the Zoom um, video conferencing app. I think if you just type in Zoom, like Zoom, you know, if you just type that in into your search there, you'll be able to uh, go and download that app. And when you download the app, what happens is we do a video conference that you guys can engage in and, you know, and all that stuff and study with us on Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are interested in being a part of that, send me a private message saying, I want to be a part of the study. And we will go and get you um, get you all hooked up with it. Um, so I think that's about it. Uh, the the on-demand version of this will probably probably be up by tomorrow night or yeah, probably about, about tomorrow night. Possibly tonight. I wouldn't count on it, however. But uh, the video in MP3 will be up on Vimeo, as well as YouTube, as well as LapideJudaism.com. Speaking of LapideJudaism.com, we got many different uh, uh, ministry expenses coming up. If you guys want to help us out, we got a PayPal button over there at LapideJudaism.com to help us to be able to constantly be able to bring these things to you guys absolutely free. It's one of the things we've been doing for the past 10 years, and we absolutely love doing it. So, you know, help us to keep on continuing to do it. Um, Deantha says, have a blessed Yom Kippur and an easy fast. Thank you for this study. Well, you know, thank you guys for joining it. Uh, because of you guys is the reason why it is that we do this each and every single week. And so um, I'm going to wish all of you guys shalom brocha, peace and a blessing, shalom.